Well, good morning again. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. If you have little ones up through grade 4 and you'd like them to be in junior church, please uh, feel free to, to uh, release them to their teachers in the foyer right now. And just don't forget to pick them up when we're all done. And for the rest of you, turn in God's word to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We are in a new study uh, in this marvelous letter. We've completed 1 Corinthians a couple of weeks ago and now have moved into this second letter from Paul that we have preserved for us. I hope that you've spent time in the Word this week. There are some new Bible reading calendars out there. Uh, we, uh, all of them went out quickly, and so we printed up some more today. So if you have uh, found yourself just kind of going through the year, just kind of reading wherever your Bible opens up, and you'd like really to have some more reading that would really help you at the end of the year be able to know more about God's Word, a more comprehensive understanding, uh, and connected together uh, so that you read through uh, from front to back, I would encourage you to do that. That is my my uh, habit over through, over through the years is to read front to back uh, over and over again. And that familiarity with the Word will provide an opportunity for you to know the Word and begin to memorize huge sections of it uh, just because you're so familiar with it. And secondly, those things, of course, are not in a vacuum. Uh, those are God's words to us. They are sufficient for life and all that we do. And so it provides an opportunity for you to have a foundation to stand on and be able to direct your life, make decisions that come up, and, uh, and be a witness uh, to that uh, transformation of the Lord provides through his word. Sanctify them with your truth. Jesus said of his disciples, what is the rest of it? Your word is truth. And so that's how sanctification is done. It's through the word being put to work in your life. So let me encourage you to be in the word. It's uh, my desire, and I've told you this many times, is not that you'll come and check in with the sermon only and go out and say, okay, I learned something or I didn't learn something. I wish you'd make a point or whatever it is that you say on your way out. But hopefully that you're learning something and that you're coming away enriched but that provides the foundation, really, or the guide, if you will, for your own study. And so my study for you, you, you are, you're held captive by what I'm studying in the Word. And then hopefully that becomes a catalyst for you to say, okay, that's, we can approach it this way. I've got the same text. I've got the same Holy Spirit tutor uh, that he has, and we can study this this way. And so that's my encouragement to you uh, to do that very thing. All right, so God's plan for a healthy church, a study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. I particularly like that. I don't know why. I think that it just tickles my funny bone that, you know, in the middle of a game, they would stop everything, you know, personal foul, and then, you know, have to do the sacrifices. I, I don't know. It, it would just make it last longer. But uh, comfort is, uh, is the name of this study, part one. And I've just labeled it the sweet from the bitter. And I think that you'll grasp perhaps where we're headed there when, uh, with that title as we read through. But I'm going to start just by preserving our time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 3, because we have uh, in the past two weeks covered a lot of background. We'll just barely touch on that today. We're going to start into some new stuff. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, picking up in verse 3, we'll read through verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Verse 6, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Verse 7, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Let's stop right there. 
in his book, Knowing God, a, a book that you are probably very familiar with by J.I. Packer. If you're not, that's a book that you should definitely put on your must-read list this year. Packer writes this, We should not, therefore, be too taken back when unexpected and upsetting and discouraging things happen to us now. What do they mean, he says? Why, simply, that God in his wisdom means to make something of us which we have not attained yet and is dealing with us accordingly. It is often the case, he says, as all the saints know, that fellowship with the Father and the Son is most vivid and sweet and Christian joy the greatest when the cross is heaviest. Packer then suggests two ways of handling trials of life when we cannot for the moment see God's purpose in them. He says, quote, first, by taking them as from God and asking ourselves what reactions to them and in them the gospel of God requires of us, and secondly, by seeking God's face specifically about them. He says, if we do these two things, we shall never find ourselves wholly in the dark as to God's purposes in troubles. Another really great book, an early 20th century China inland missionary, Isabel Kuhn, wrote a book called Green Leaf and Drought Time. She wrote this. This is a great quote. Listen to this. You might want to copy this down. God does not waste suffering. If he plows, it's because he purposes a crop, end quote. And you've heard me say that many times. That quote is very familiar to me. God does not waste suffering. If he plows, it's because he purposes a crop. And again, these are things that people have grown to learn, no doubt. But it is based on a number of things, I think. You don't jump into that attitude. You know, if today catastrophic things happen to you or your family, uh, something goes on in your life that completely changes your life's direction, your vector, and you, or you learn some news, what, what would be the next reaction there? And, and I guess as we look at this passage, I think th these are ways, I think these are the types of introspection the Holy Spirit would have us would have. Us have. Because I, I don't think that you're going to, if you are uh, the average Western Christian and you just kind of, God's a padding around your life uh, to insulate you from the worst of the world and, and you know, church is great as long as it's not too intrusive and you're not really involved too much in things and giving your life away. I would, I would propose to you that if your life takes a vector that turns for what we could understand bad, that your first comment would not be, um, God doesn't waste suffering if he plows us because he wants to produce a crop. I, I, would, I would suppose that that would not be uh, your first response. But as we read Paul's first topic here in, in verses 3 through 7, it's obvious that uh, there's no darkness, there's no uncertainty in Paul's mind as to the purpose of his afflictions and his trials. Would you agree? I, mean, I think Paul was pretty solid on that. Um, his comments make it pretty certain to us anyway that he knew God never wastes difficulty. Now, over the past two weeks, we've looked at the history of Corinth itself. We've looked at some of the history of the church, some of Paul's interaction with the church. So you have that now as a foundation. So we're going to move into some passages here as we talk about perhaps Paul's attitude as he approaches this. But you maybe have noticed that this, this first topic Paul visits is dissimilar from a corresponding passage, perhaps, in this the other letter we have preserved in 1 Corinthians. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul starts, after he talks about what it means to be a saint, uh, just affirming that he looks at them as saints, even though it's a church full of trouble, and church, if it could do anything that would be wrong doctrinally, theologically, if it could do anything wrong morally, it was in there, woven into the church, uh, because they just took the culture and brought it in and didn't weed it out. So we understand all of that, but here's, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, this is how he starts that letter, he says, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be made complete in the same mind and same judgment, for I have been informed 
concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, that's just a big pile of stuff, right? I mean, you can just kind of tick them off, right? Um, no divisions among you, uh, and, and that you all agree, and that you be made complete in the same mind. So in unity, start drawing towards Christ's mind, have the same judgment. Um, I hear that there's a whole bunch of quarrels going on around you. That's just a start of, wow, Okay, this is a church in turmoil, obviously, a church in having some difficulty, not unlike modern churches. And right away you see 1 Corinthians is a letter devoted to the problems of the church, and he just takes them on one at a time. He's not shy. He just wades in and just says, okay, here's some quarrels. You're not, you're not unified. You're, you're divided amongst each other. Uh, you, you don't agree with each other. You're just having a whole bunch of problems, and that's got to stop. And Paul says, and this is not just hearsay. Somebody came and just told me this is what's going on in the church. So that's how he starts that letter. And, and so in 1 Corinthians, you see that's a letter devoted to the problems of a church. Whereas we're going to see in 2 Corinthians is a letter devoted to the personal life of a man. And it's, it's quite refreshing change. I mean, we're going to still see direction, but we're going to see it through example. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's telling the Corinthian church what they need to be. And 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling the Corinthian church what he is and how he approaches things. And of course, that becomes the example for them. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, it's a letter of correction. 2 Corinthians is a letter of personal testimony. You know, it's, um, 2 Corinthians, it could be said, is probably the most open-hearted look into the heart of Paul in all of his letters. When you get right down to it and you just want to open Paul up, you want to see what's going on in his heart, how he's felt about the things that have happened to him, this is where you would turn. He has made some inroads into this church, and you know the history there, and I won't go through it again. Having to, been, to be so corrective, having to make a number of trips there. What he's going to do now is let the church see some more personal things uh, from him. We're going to see some instruction, we're going to see some uh, admonition, and we're going to see it couched in example. That's what we're going to see. And you can see Paul wants to disciple this church, and he's corrected it, and he's, he's brought it into a place where they understand what they've done is wrong. Many of them have repented. And then in doing that, we, we get to see, be discipled too, because Paul then now opens himself up personally to this church. So Paul is at about his 20-year mark in ministry, approximately. He's going to have about 30 years total. So he's two-thirds through. He's probably in his late 50s at this point when he is writing this letter. He's been at it long enough to understand ministry. He understands churches. He understands people. And long enough to have a deep relationship, of course, with Christ. And long enough to know what really matters. And at this point, uh, with all of his history with this church, as in, uh, in his previous letters to them, and so many of his other letters, uh, he really doesn't here present a systematic order of arguments. We don't really see that so much. As we see his feelings, we see his inner workings, we get to see what the inside of a devoted man of God looks like, and he gives us his desire, gives us his feelings, gives us his inner thoughts, and shows us some of his experience with God personally. How has that worked out? Uh, you're going to find, I think, this very enriching and very encouraging as you watch how he has wrestled with all these things and how he's come out here in this position, and then he shares this. The church has wounded Paul. Uh, he's put up with a lot of difficulty from city to city. Um, and some of his own countrymen uh, hated him. Uh, he, he could have said, of course, with Jacob, uh, that he was, in, Jacob for, in Genesis 42, 36, as he was going through difficult times, and many believers, of course, have said this uh, over time, Genesis 42, 36, all these things uh, are against me. So he could have come out and just said that. And so as I go back to my first comment, that if, if you found yourself just kind of on the, on the orbit around church, or probably just marginal, or Christianity just insulates you from, from the worst of the culture, and you're not really plugged in, not really involved, haven't been in the Word, I would say that when your life takes a drastic turn, 
uh, a catastrophic turn or some very bad news and, and things are not going to be like you think they're going to be, that this is probably your response. Jacob's response when uh, the men come back from Egypt and they've left one of the brothers there and, and now they want to take another brother. And what does Jacob say? Instead of saying, okay, this is from the hand of the Lord, what's he say? Man, all these things are against me. I would say that that would be the first response, right? And nobody would say that Jacob was necessarily a spiritual guy. That's the, one of the wonderful things about the Old Testament and New Testament is not everybody comes out smelling like a rose. Some people are in there just so we know what not to do, right? That's what the Pharisees are there for. You wonder why Jesus includes them all all the time. Uh, you're like, why do we even have to hear about these guys? That's so you know what not to be like, okay? So if you find yourself critical, you find yourself, you know, uh, legalistic, if you find yourself pointing fingers at people all the time and having a real hard time with anything that goes on that doesn't line up with what you want to do, then you understand you're lining up with the Pharisees, okay? And that's why we see that. And so you need to move away from that, see? So, and again, Jacob, not the spirit, most spiritual of guys. And so we see this whole thing going on here where he just says, hey, all these things are against me. So Paul could have said that, he, you know, he could have said, hey, you know, the church is against me, the people are against me, my own countrymen are against me, it seems like the sea, and, and every time I take a trip, that's against me, everything goes badly. We didn't see that. Instead, uh, what he learned uh, is the right response to difficulty, and, and, and he later taught that to the church in Rome, where, we, where he said this in Romans 5.3, he says this, we also exult in our tribulation, so we rejoice in our tribulation. Now, that's not a sentence most people say, at least not initially. It's a sentence a disciple will say. It's a sentence that you can look at your life as you understand what the Word of God says and you look at the examples that we can see through the Scripture and you can say, okay, we can exalt in our tribulation. Why, that, why is that, Paul? Well, knowing, so this is, this is common knowledge. You know, I know, this is, this is very straightforward from the Word of God. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. So just pause right there. We went through that extensively as we went through the book of Romans, we won't do it again. But here's the deal. When we get into real pressure, that's the word tribulation. That's the Greek noun thlipsis. It's a weird saying. It's T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. So you try to say that in your mind. Thlipsis. Sounds like you got a lisp or a, you know, a speech impediment. It's a pressing, pressing pressure. Okay, that's what that means. So when we get into tribulation, you get into a pressing pressure. That's the, that's the word that's used for pressing out olives to remove the oil. That's pressing out grapes to collect wine. So that same word used there, when we're in that pressing pressure, and everybody knows what that feels like, Paul says, when difficult times really put it on you, what's going to come out? Is it going to be the oil of perseverance? That's verse 3, right? Hupomone, it means steadfastness. The ability to stay on course regardless of the waves. When the pressing pressure comes on you is, is part of what gets squeezed out. Perseverance. In other words, you go through trouble and you learn to endure and you go through trouble and you learn to endure and then uh, to stay on course. And that produces, verse 4, the wine of proven character or the oil of proven character. Dokime, it means a specimen of tried worth. Paul says, this is common knowledge. We exalt in tribulation. Why? Because when pressing pressure comes on, when what comes out is the oil of steadfastness and the wine of proven character, then we can rejoice in hope, can't we? Because we have a hope. We know that that's not the common response. That's not what's going to come out of somebody who's not a believer. Paul says, we know, you and I, because we know Christ is our Savior, that this is, this is the result of oppressing pressure. What is it? The wine of perseverance and the wine of proven character putting something to the test, making it sure it's pure, putting silver to the test, you're removing all the dross. That's what happens when pressing pressure goes on, see? So when you have trouble, 
Paul says in Romans 5.3, it produces endurance. And when you go through trouble, you learn endurance and you're a specimen of tried worth. It's purging out all the flaws, uh, flaws see, purging out imperfections. So Paul says, exalt in these things. Why? Because it's building our faith. It's producing holiness. We trust God more. We're going to grow stronger spiritually. And why is that good? Because it's part of the purifying process. When we go through difficult times, we have a choice, see. We can be confident that we're in God's care and, re, and, and uh, receive the proving and the strengthening benefits he intended. See, that's one of the choices. We can say, okay, uh, all these things aren't against me. This is from God, and I can exalt in the tribulation. And in our, our passage today, part of being tried, because it's the same word we're going to see in our passage, this, this pressing pressure, part of being tried and proven is the ability to, what did we just read? Comfort others, see? What gets squeezed out? What? When we're in a difficult time, we've gone through hardship, when, when part of our life didn't line up to like we thought it was, when maybe how it started uh, as we were a child didn't line up with how we thought it should start, and we got really into a bad state, and we got through all of that, can we, do we get to this point in our, in our adulthood where we say, all these things are against me? Or do we say, okay, I can rejoice in our tribulation, I can rejoice in this squeezing, because the squeezing is going to squeeze out this, and we see here, this, uh, we're going to see this in just a minute, this comfort to others. Or we can doubt God and say, like Jacob says, all these things are against me. And then that just becomes an opportunity to do evil and to disobey the word, see. And, and of course, you can certainly see more of that. And I would encourage you to read about more of that in the book of James, what that looks like, okay. So uh, later in the letter to the, uh, to the Romans, Paul writes this in Romans 8.28. Just confirms our understanding as we look at our passage this morning, and it confirms our understanding of Romans 5, Paul says, Romans 8, 28, and we know, so again, common knowledge, this is common among believers, we understand this to be true, just like we understand we can exalt in our tribulation, because we know tribulation squeezes out of us perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, we know those to be true, Paul says, we also know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So how far does that reach? Again, without going back into this passage in depth, just, I just want to brought, pull out a few things that we're going to see, same words we're going to see today. All things, that's how far. What does that include? Everything. Is there anything excluded from that? No, not if it says all things. That's how far. That's, the promise is just that full, see. Um, to be secure, here's the deal, to be secure in the understanding that no matter what the hurt or what the tribulation or what the trial or what the affliction or what the trouble or what the testing is or what the difficulty, that what? It all works together for good. It's comprehensive for the Christian, for the believer. It all works in our exalting. Why? Because those tribulations, when they put the squeeze on us, can produce the wine or the oil of things that are very pleasing to the Lord and show us as a vessel of proven worth. Now, this is a very straightforward, middle-of-the-passage understanding of tribulation and difficulty. We're not kind of grasping at straws way out on the peripheral and saying, okay, perhaps, you know, perhaps this is what it means or whatever. Listen, this is a straightforward understanding, okay? Straightforward understanding. And hopefully as we build this foundation, you'll be able to come to that conclusion too. This is a super rich topic. And, and we're going to revisit it again in just a moment. But now that we have this little review on Paul's perspective of difficulty, you're going to see some similarities as Paul opens himself up here in 2 Corinthians and his perspective of the difficulties he's had with the church. And it's very consistent with what he taught the Romans later. And that shouldn't surprise us. So in this letter, you're going to see a triumphant Christian. You're going to see a victorious believer, but not because things are always good. See, 
You're going to see it right in the middle of pain. You're going to see it in the middle of concern. You're going to see it right in the middle of, of trouble. And as you may imagine, that is a lesson from Paul's life that has tremendous application to us. Maybe for some of you right now. And for all of us eventually, no question. Now look at verses, verses 3 and 4, if you would. We get to our text and we'll start breaking it down. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Stop right there. Now, as we get started here with Paul's perspective, we can connect with this and learn some important principles right away. Uh, Paul deals with three things here. And as, as we look at Paul's response, so my desire is we look at passages like this where we have feelings exposed from Paul and other people who are examples. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We understand Paul followed Christ. We understand the Lord preserved his letters for us. The greatest portion of the New Testament made up of Paul's writings. We understand. So Paul's one of those examples we can follow. So then we pull out, okay, what's going on here in Paul's conversation? It helps us understand some key points for us to, to, to be able to apply. So that's how I'm going through it. So I'm going to give you some handles, at least handles that work for me. His perspective is illustrated this way, I think. Attitude, experience, application. And so we're going to start with attitude, okay? Paul's attitude here is where we have to start. Now, here's the deal. Think, think about this. Paul has penned some marvelous things in this little section. He starts with, blessed be the Lord. Now, that's not an, an unusual way to start for people, particularly people who are having a difficult time. And I want to draw your attention to Psalm 68, 19. Now, here is David. He is penning this passage, and he says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, the God who is our salvation, Selah, or so be it. Now, would you say that David knew something of difficulty? Right? I would say he knew something of difficulty, some of his own making, just like us. Right? We make some of our own difficulty, don't we, by decisions we make. Some of them brought on by wicked people. Some of them brought on by the Lord himself. Some of them brought on by his experience in a cursed world. Okay, so lots, lots of contributors. We're not saying it's all just one thing, but it created an environment where David understood some pressing pressure. He knew difficulty. He knew something of hardship. He knew something uh, that uh, is is there's a result of other people uh, putting things on him. And if what comes out of you is to be the wine of maturity and here the wine of comfort to others, then this first principle I think is very important as we look at Paul's attitude. Principle number one, you can find this in your notes if you'd like to write it down, from Paul's life in, if you will, getting the sweet from the bitter is an attitude of confident assurance in the nature of God. And I think that's really where we have to start. So one of the reasons why we go through uh, worship in the morning and song and we pick the songs out carefully and exclude ones that are theologically unsound is because it's important to begin to say over and over again and understand, of course, with our understanding, not just mouthing the words, that God has, a cer has certain attributes of his nature. And these are true regardless of our experience. And we, so we exalt these things. And one of the things that Paul brings to us right away is this attitude of a confident assurance in the nature of God. Can you, could you play, I'll put this up by David. Could you pray this with David in all honesty? You, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Because this is true, okay? Could you pray this with David? You are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me, O oh, oh 
Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. So sounds like David's in a what? Having a great time? Party every day? No, it sounds to me like David's in a very difficult time, right? That people around him are creating a situation where there's pressing pressure. So catch this. So he says all that, you are Lord, our God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Because, he says at the end, look at it, you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. He understood where comfort and help came from, didn't he? He understood the Lord was capable of doing that, and the Lord's blessed. David knows God is merciful and gracious. David knows God's slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Do you know that? Do you think God's capricious? Do you think God's kind of waiting to maybe lay it on you, you know, when you least expect it? You know, he's like, okay, that's it. Okay, I'm, you're done with grace. Now it's, now it's just straight my judgment on you. Okay, that's, that's not our understanding of the Lord. Okay, he certainly has the right. One of the fear, part of the fear of the Lord that the scripture talks about is a fear that comes right down to the foundation of our relationship with the Lord, which is that as a believer, and I hope you can connect with this, the fear of the Lord is at the basis of our understanding of him and our relationship with him, that he has the right to deal with our sin any way he wants. Does that put fear in your heart? It should. The Lord has the right to deal with your sin any way he wants. Does that put fear in your heart? It should put fear in your heart. That is the basis of our understanding and the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom. He has the right to deal with us any way he wishes because he's holy and righteous. There's no obligation on the Lord whatsoever to save and to extend to us Christ, and yet he did, and that's another part of his nature. But the bottom line is that he has the right to deal with our sin any way we wish. Now, as we grow in our understanding of him, and we begin to respond to him in obedience, the relationship turns into a love relationship, doesn't it? And thankfulness. And in thankfulness, we respond in obedience to the Lord. And that's what you want to do with your children. Okay? Your, your basis for your correction of your children is the fear of a spanking. That's why the, the Bible makes that the main thing in Proverbs is correction. Okay? Correction with the rod is the main thing. And so you start with, as your child or children are younger, laying out a fence line, if you will, so that they understand where the borders are, and when they cross over the border, there is a spanking that goes along with the loving affirmation of instruction. But as you children grow and they understand what obedience looks like, they begin to respond to you out of love. And so when you say, would you please do this, and they respond that way because they learned how to have obedience to you in the fear of punishment. That's reality, beloved, okay? That is the basis of our relationship with the Lord, which is he has the right to deal with our sin any way we wish. He wishes. But then our relationship with him grows, and fear of judgment is no longer in our mind constantly because we're responding to him in obedience, okay? And so it's very important that we understand David knows God's merciful and gracious. David knows that God is slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness, and he's abundant in truth. He knows these things. He fears the Lord, too. He knows the Lord has the right to deal with him any way he wishes. David knows that God is God of all strength to deliver. Paul's heart attitude is God is the father of mercies. God is the father of all comfort. Paul understands God, and he understands that God is, among other things, the God of all mercy and the God of all comfort. So he says, then, in the basis of that relationship with the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Here's the deal. That word blessed, eulegetos, it is the adjective uh, in verb form. It's where we get our word eulogy, to speak well of. It's the adjective from the New Testament that's used to glorify God's attributes. This is really a doxology, if you will, 
This is a way to worship God by recounting his attributes, why I like Chris Tomlin's song so much. He, Chris Tomlin incorporates these doxologies many times from the New Testament and the Old Testament into your, your worship. And so you begin to say these things. These are true things of the Lord. God is the God. He is blessed. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort. And so this is a very important way for Paul to affirm, this is my attitude. In spite of the difficult times the church has caused me, Paul says, in spite of the difficult times individual people have caused, and my travels have brought on me, and my own countrymen have brought on me, in spite of all those things, in spite of being tossed out of cities, and lowered in baskets, and stoned to death, and thought had died, in spite of all that, I know that God is blessed, and he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. That's the starting point, see. It's a way to worship God. We recount his attributes. And catch this, see, it's key, it's key in forming our thoughts and attitudes as they relate to the difficult times that come to us on the earth. Knowing who God is and his true attributes uh, that are revealed in the, in the New and Old Testament are super important before you get to the point where you're in the hardship. Otherwise, you just say all these things are against me. Are they against you? Or is this directly from the hand of the Lord, whatever it is, whatever he's allowed in your life? Is he still the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies? See, that has to be firm in your mind before you get to the difficult time, or it's very hard to go backwards into it. And beloved, I, and many of you know this if you've made hospital visits and, and sickbed visits many, many times. You, know, you understand this. You understand when you get to somebody, people say, will you go see my relative in the hospital? You know, <laughs> if they're a believer, I'm going to say, why don't you go see your relative in the hospital? They know you. They don't know me. I'm going to walk in a stranger, like, call security, you know, whatever. Um, but I'll go, you know, and then they're having a difficult time. Is there common ground in knowing that God is the God of all mercy and God of comfort? Is God good? Is he sovereign over all these things, see? Because if there's not that common ground, wow, that is a difficult hospital visit, okay? If it's all these things are against me, that's pretty tough to go backwards into, you know, God's really a good God, and, and, and this is from his hand. And, you know, you were made for this. New Testament says, you know, don't be surprised in all your sufferings because you were actually made for this. See? Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says here to the Ephesians. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Do you always feel that way? <laughs> this week, did you feel that way? You know, if you had a hard time this week... You know, did you think, you know, wow, you know, the Lord has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Is that what you said? Sometimes that's hard to say that, isn't it? Is it true regardless? It is true regardless. See, did you know that's your position? Every spiritual blessing. You are the recipient of every single one. That is a positional truth for you. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed, again, starting the same way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, Peter? Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Jesus, you have a living hope, regardless of your situation day to day. Believers have been born again into a living hope. As long as Christ lives, your eternal future is secure, and your hope is intact. And Christ reigns forever, and will never die, and never be killed again, ever, and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. So you are secure. Again, and it's not like mind over matter, and I'm not, not trying to create this, this, uh, this situation that isn't true. I'm just saying the truth about God have to be firmly fixed in your mind, and you have to know what they are. What, is her, what are his attributes? In Jesus, you have a living hope. 
Paul says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Paul says, God is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's the truth. That's his attitude, see. In the New Testament, we find these praises to God tied to Jesus, of course, and we understand that, I think. In, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered us over for, delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So what things? Well, all spiritual blessings, right? Because that's what you have through Jesus. Um, all mercy, all salvation. Why? You have that through Jesus. And so it's connected. God's, God's nature, God's attributes connected through what Christ has done. We worship him because he's brought it to fruition. All the promises of God fulfilled in Christ in you. And so uh, all salvation, all hope in our living hope, all things. And our passage this morning, all mercy and all comfort. See, God delivered Jesus over for us. And so because he has gone to that great length for us, this is the point of Romans 8, 31. He will not hesitate to provide then all we need. And Paul reminds the church at Corinth that this attitude is where he starts and this is where they have to start. God is the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies. This is God who is always this way. He's always good. He's always faithful. He's the God who gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is the God we worship, see. And just as a footnote, that word all is pretty important here as it relates again uh, to this passage. We saw it in, in Romans 8. We saw it in Romans 5, that word all. Here's the deal. It just means if we understand that God is the father of all mercies and he's the father of uh, and all comfort, if we understand that, then we understand if it's all, then that means no difficulty, okay, no hardship, no pressing pressure, would ever be too much for the mercy and comfort that God provides. None. So all, he's got of all comfort. And I'm sure you've heard of, you know, provisos and conditions and stipulations, you know, disclaimers, all that kind of stuff. You know, the small writing at the bottom of the contract, you know, every offer, uh, you know, even a picture of a hamburger, you know, at the bottom may not look like the, you know, may look, look like the picture. You know, I've actually said that at McDonald's. I got a hamburger like, this, this does not look like, you know how they have the gourmet burgers now, you know. And I don't eat McDonald's that much, but I just said, you know, I would go, they're trying to be healthier. And uh, so you look at that, and I got to open the box. I'm like, I brought it back to her, like, this does not look at all. And I'm not trying to complain, but it's not even close to that picture. I mean, you left off a bunch of stuff that you're, like, magnifying up there. And so uh, I'm sure they took it back and spit on it and give it back to me. Yeah, that's just what happens when you complain, you know. But uh, the bottom line is this, you know, we're, we're used to, you know, we're used to, there being some conditions, right? I mean, you know, Paul says, God is the God of all comfort and all mercy, you know, but what about the small print? You know, small print like, this product's meant for educational purposes only and resembles a real person's living or dead is probably coincidental. You know, they speed that up at the end. You know, the information contained here in this product and on this side is for informational purposes only may not apply to your situation. The author, publisher, distributor, provider provide no warranty about the content accuracy of your content inside of this. You know, all that, see? That's what we're used to hearing. And so we, believe it or not, beloved, we make those conditions. Okay, I know God's got all the comfort, but they couldn't possibly have wanted me to go through what I went through. See, so again, we throw in the small print. This couldn't possibly be what he meant. That's what we're used to. We live that every day. So some obvious questions come up. So here in this statement, this wonderful promise, this attitude that is so important, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, how far does it reach? All. It reaches all. 
No conditions, no provisos, whatever, no disclaimers. That promise is just that full, as we saw in Romans before this, you know, where God uses all things to work together for good. It's all things work together for good. See, he's the origin of mercies. That's what it means to be the father of something. He's the God of all comfort. And whenever you need mercy, whenever you need comfort, that should be a great source of assurance and confidence and optimism and freedom to be secure in the understanding that no matter what the hurt and what the trouble and what the testing and what the difficulty, just like we saw before, it is comprehensive for the Christian, for the believer. Comprehensive. When, regardless of where it starts, regardless of when it started, whatever it was that you went through, how you started your life, how, whatever it is, see, it takes in all of those things, and all those things work together for good, and we know that all those pressing pressures and all those difficulties can squeeze out from us exactly what the Lord wants from us, which is maturity, see. And that gives us this hope when we see that squeezed out. We have this hope, yeah, we're the Lord's. And he has the right to do with me whatever he wants. And he can be, I can be Job, who was proven a heavenly point, and he didn't even know what the point was, and he, he had to go through it. Did he get it, beloved? He, at the end, we get to see Job interacting with the Lord. What's Job say? Hey, you know, I knew by a few words before, now I kind of see a little bit, and I'm ashamed that I even had any questions in my mind at all. But Job was going through something perhaps we've never gone through. He's the poster for difficult times and pressing pressure. Wouldn't you agree? And we'll see that passage in just a minute, what he said. But Job's a poster of that, okay? I've had somebody stand up in church after they had a difficult time and said, I'm no Job, I don't know what's going on and what the Lord's doing to me. I, I, that actually was a testimony in the church. I'm no Job. I'm like, ah, maybe you will be if what gets squeezed out of you is not what the Lord wants to squeeze out of you. Maybe he has some more things in store. So you know, comprehensive this really great pa uh, parallel, First, First Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, so then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to, all things belong to you, whether Paul the, or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, all things present or things to come, all things belong to you, you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to God. It's just as comprehensive as that, see? Um, whatever the extent of our life situation, whatever the pressing pressure is, whatever it happened, wherever it originated, however it came out, okay, all things are included. The Father of mercies, Oktirmos, that's compassion, pity, empathy. So he is the Father of that. Understand whatever you're going through, God is the source of all compassion, pity, and mercy. That's his disposition toward you. He is the father of mercies. He's the father of compassion, in other words, the father of pity, the father of empathy. And not only that, he is the God of all comfort. And all again, individually, each, every one, the whole, okay, collectively, every difficulty, he is the God of all comfort. Paracasis. That's the root verb and noun forms, of course, found 10 times in five verses here, 16 times in 2 Corinthians, that root, paraclesis. Paul says, he is the source of comfort. He is, he's known as such. That's his character. And then Paul gets very specific at the beginning of verse 4. See, and, and that, that, that comfort word, I mean, understand the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. So understand the connection there with comforting and bringing comfort and the God of all comfort. And so Paul has this attitude, this is God, this is the fixed point, I understand what, who he is and what he does. And then he moved from attitude to experience. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.4, we have to move on here. So here's his experience, see, 
And this is a logical move if your attitude matches Paul's, okay? So if you understand that God is the God of all comfort and the God, Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, then your next step then, who comforts us again in all our affliction, right? Parakaleo. He comforts us. And so present active participle, not only is that part of his character, it's part of his name. So principle number two is this, at the very point of trouble, God is actively comforting. That's the understanding there. So my attitude is that God ha is the father of mercies and God of all comfort, and that is who he is. And then my experience, Paul says, is he actively comforts me whenever there's a difficult time. I can take the sweet from the bitter in the realization at the very point of trouble, God is actively comforting. And that's a marvelous benefit the believer has. And, and here's the deal. That doesn't mean he makes it easy. It just means strengthening, encouraging, building up, coming alongside, and helping. And as we're talking about any disclaimers, how far does that reach? Well, it reaches right into suffering because that's exactly what we're talking about. And we would probably all agree that suffering is a bad thing. We would look at it and say, that's bad. I would rather not suffer. It occurs as a result of the curse. See, if there had never been sin, there wouldn't have been pain and death and sorrow and crying and all of that. But we have all of that because we have sin. And, and so, you know, this suffering could come from people. It could be coming from a body that doesn't work like it should. It could come from natural disasters. It could come from wicked rulers. It could come from, uh, you know, come from the Lord as he desires to perfect us. It, it, it could be a result of his chastening or, or for him to prove a heavenly point, as with Job. Whatever the source, the amazing thing is, is that God reaches into that thing we would consider bad, and he speaks comfort to us, and he looks at us with mercy and compassion and empathy because he is the source of all of that and the scriptures have a lot of examples of these kinds of things remember naomi in the book of ruth ruth chapter 1 verse 20 says this she said to them do not call me naomi call me mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me i went out in full but the lord has brought me back empty why do you call me naomi since the lord has witnessed against me and the almighty has afflicted me she understood that the lord in some in some way in his sovereignty had created a situation that was less than ideal for her so she goes out away from judah she has a husband and two sons she comes back to judah without any of them but the lord had plans for her comfort didn't he didn't he do you know this do you know this this book oh he sure did he had plans for her he had plans for her comfort and her tribulation doesn't appear to be the result of sin on her part or her family. And yet, there she was in the middle of that. And if you read that book, you understand how the Lord intended to comfort her and was the comforter for her and the father of mercies and compassion. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, you know, again, poster for, for uh, unexplained suffering. So this first catastrophe happens to him, and, and uh, he gets to the end of this, of course, and and the thing that we wish not wouldn't happen, you know, after he makes this witness, you know, Satan goes back to the Lord and, and the Lord says, see, he's a faithful guy. And, and Satan says, well, yeah, take away, you know, let me afflict his life and we'll see what he says. And so, you know, the, tr the suffering wasn't done. But when Job gets through the, the first disaster, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What's he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is so amazing, isn't it? 
should read that passage, just kind of search yourself in there once in a while. Would you still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Paul was doing that, see? We understand that when the pressure comes on, those who understand who the Lord is and have an attitude that starts with, he is sovereign and he's holy and he's right and he's just and he's true and he also has all this uh, compassion and he has all this mercy. He's the father of all that. And so I can get through this pressing pressure and it's not unusual to say, again, in the middle of the scriptures, not on the edges, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost everything. Again, we see from Job and his suffering. His tribulation wasn't a result of any certain sin on his part. You know, it may be the refining process that God wants to work out. Certainly that worked in Job's life, right? It may be chastening as a result of disobedience. It may be the result of living in a body that doesn't work right. It, it may be the result of living on a cursed earth. It may be the result of other people. But God is the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion and the Father of mercy. And Job, in the middle of pressing pressure, saw the wine of contentment pressed out of him, didn't he? Peter reminds the church here in 1 Peter 5.10, he says, after you've suffered for a little while, that doesn't sound that much fun, um, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's part of that perfecting process, see? We, we learn, that in our experience, we learn sympathy, we learn compassion, see? Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1.4, as we move to application. So that's the experience. Okay, I've experienced, Paul says, God's comfort and God's uh, uh, mercy to me. And now I'm going to apply this. Here, here's, whenever we teach the word, okay, you, you would like to have application. You would like to be able to say, here's application. Not all passages in the word of God provide application for us. Some narratives provide us some background. And we can learn things that are important for us to understand as we go through the Word of God. So we don't try to force an application and, and manufacture it uh, in a passage and kind of shove it in there and say, okay, this is what it means, okay? You've probably heard people do that. You're like, scratching your head, how do you make that jump? You know, you don't have to always do that, but here it gets handed to us. So if it gets handed to us, we're making the application, okay? So look at the last part of verse 4 who comforts us in all our afflictions. So Paul says, that's my experience because my attitude is God is the God of all comfort and God of all mercy. And whenever afflictions come, he's actively comforting. I understand that. I've experienced that. And then my application is, so, here it is, that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So catch it. Principle number three. God, and this is getting the, the sweet from the bitter, okay, is the realization that God gives us these benefits so that we can give them away. Now, if you're like Job and you say all these things are against me, it's going to be pretty tough to encourage somebody that way. Oh, man, you've got a bunch of bad luck, too. All these things are against us. There's no comfort there, is there? Because that's not true. It's not based on any kind of truth, see? God gives us these benefits so we can give them away. So we start with the right understanding of God's nature, and we look at our experience whenever there's an affliction. God is right there bringing comfort, and then we know God is good and we've experienced his goodness and now we give that comfort away. That's what Paul says, see. You know, if you think about Joseph, this is a great example. We won't go into it because we don't have time, but in Genesis 37, that's a it's a classic example of some transformation that occurred as a result of, of some suffering and difficulty. I mean, think about Joseph, you know, he had a terrible attitude. Of course, he, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, okay? I mean, Jacob wasn't that great either. So, so here's Joseph. You know, he has a terrible attitude. He provoked his brothers to jealousy. He just was not nice, okay? He's not the guy you want to be, okay? He knew his father had favoritism toward him. He played that up all the time. You know, it, these were wicked things. Part of the curse 
sinfulness on Joseph's part, sinfulness on his brother's part, sinfulness on his father's part, and it brought about difficulty for Joseph from the hand of the Lord. And, but all through, as you read the story, the Lord is comforting Joseph, isn't he? He's right there as a comforter for Joseph. He's letting Joseph go through the issues. He's letting go, Joseph go through the disappointment. He's letting go, Joseph go through false accusations and being thrown in a pit and being picked up by traitors and carried to a foreign land. I mean, it's just, it's just wow. It's overwhelming. He suffered. He experienced God's comfort and mercy. And his difficult time brought about what? Well, it brought about a change of heart for him, didn't it? All the time the Lord's comforting him, all the time the Lord is, is coming alongside, he's, he's merciful, and he's, he's empathetic, but he's letting Joseph go through this, and, and uh, the next time he meets his brothers, what happens? A whole change of approach to his brothers. Compassion in his heart, he's broken, all that kind of stuff. And so here's the deal. When things are going well, we might not have any idea of our bankrupt condition when things are going well. We may not have any idea of our bankrupt condition, but let a little difficulty come along, and wow, we can really learn some lessons in humility, can't we? Can't we? We learn a lot about ourselves in, in difficulty. See, especially if we understand it's from the hand of the Lord, and not just saying all these things are against me. See? We can find out pretty quickly in difficult times how much we trust God and how short our fuse is. And what our value system is really, where that's really set, can't we? So here's Paul. He comes to faith. He's brought low by the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was a wicked man doing wicked things by his own admission. Brought low on the road to Damascus. He's led into the city. And the Lord comes to this guy by the name of Ananias and tells him, go speak to Paul. You remember the story? And Ananias is a little hesitant to do that. Because he's afraid of Paul. And rightfully so. But the Lord says to him, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Mark this, beloved, for I will show him how much he must, what? Suffer for my name's sake. So the road to Damascus, beloved, was only the beginning of Paul's afflictions, and now we are 20 years into his ministry, and Paul knows something about suffering, and he knows something about difficulty. But what he really knows most about because no doubt there's been other people who have suffered equally to Paul. And certainly in our, I think in our century, there's been people in the Middle East who've suffered equal to Paul and worse. But what Paul really knows more than anything is God is the God of all mercies and the Father of all comfort. He knows that for sure, see. And so Paul, the beginning of Paul's sufferings really was in Damascus, but that was only the beginning of Paul. And, and Jesus even said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. He, he had designed it for Paul. And Paul was ready because he understood it was from the hand of the Lord. And it wasn't all these things are against me. It's like, I exalt in my tribulation for when that squeeze is put on me, I want the wine of, of perseverance and the wine of, of uh, hope to be squeezed out. I want these things as part of my life. I understand that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. I understand that. Okay, this is from the hand of the Lord. And so he can say then, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So categorical, isn't it? He is the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All those mercies and, 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 and gifts come through Jesus, okay? And the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And he comforts us constantly in our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been covered by God. It's the full circle, isn't it? It completes everything for us. 
If we don't even understand what the source of the suffering was, and we can't make sense of it, perhaps, and why it was allowed to be in our life to begin with, we can certainly connect the circle, though, can't we? Because we can trust by our, our attitude who the Lord is. We can understand that the sufferings come from him, and he is constantly uh, in, the, in the habit of comforting us, and we can come all the way around and say, okay, and I was made to go through this, and now I'm going to be able to give comfort. The Lord has brought me through this so I can comfort somebody else, see? It's an attitude of praise. In God's sovereign plan, he provides the mercy and the comfort to his children. And so the Apostle Paul can say, I'll speak well of God. I will bless. That's what it means. I'm going to speak well. I will eulogize God, his name, because he comforts us in all our difficulty. He knows that it is God's nature, and nothing will convince him that that isn't true. And Paul knows this is from God's word. But on top of that, his experience is, beloved, that the Lord has comforted him over and over again. Paul's saying, I want you to know that the God of all comfort never fails. It's his nature. It's his promise. It's his doing it right now, right when I need it, right when you need it. And in Paul's life, there was always pressure trying to crush him and crush the life out of him and trying to restrict and confine his ministry and debilitate him. But in all of that, that word all, see, obviously comprehensive, inclusive, no matter what came by way of, of a powerful pressure, Paul says God was there and he was comforting. And the word comfort again doesn't mean giving him ease. It means strengthening him and encouraging him and, and enabling him and making him brave and making him bold and making him courageous. And catch this, the completed circle. He knows he didn't go through all of that in a vacuum, see. There's a direct application. What is it? Comfort others. As specific as the difficulty was for you, see, the Lord has somebody that'll be in your path where you were comforted by in some things that have happened before, where you've trusted the Lord and, his, and who he is and his sovereignty and, and what his attributes are, and then you've received comfort from him and you give then this comfort, see, comfort others. And Paul sees, here it is, Paul sees comfort as a trust. He sees it as a stewardship. God gave you comfort as a stewardship to be passed on. And the application of the lessons of, that Paul learned and we are to learn is that the experience of being comforted in our discomfort and in our suffering, in our tribulation, in our pressing pressure, whatever it is, is to make us into comforters. See? God is the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Christ is a comforter. I, there was this one gentleman uh, up in New York, and I've, the Lord's brought many of these folks into my life over the years. Uh, one gentleman in particular, I won't mention his name, uh, he was a marvelous example of this. He had a he had debilitating illness from almost from early childhood, certainly when he got into teens. It caused him to continually lose control of his muscle function. And so he, at the point that I met him, he was confined to a wheelchair. Uh, now he's not able to drive at all. Um, but you know, I would go and see him, or I'd, I'd see him in town, or you know, go over his house and sit and visit with his wife. And, and, he, and he was a huge encourager and, and comforter to me. And his tribulation and difficulties were much greater, exponentially greater, than things that I had been gone, able to go through. But you, uh, the Lord had brought me through. But he, he understood how to provide comfort to people because he'd received it. He had continually received it. And the Lord had placed him in a position where it wasn't ever going to be released. Okay? He understood that. It wasn't like it was a season of difficulty and then he's going to kind of poke his head back up out of the water and take a big breath. There was never going to be that. Okay? But it wasn't a problem for him. He understood. And, and I'm sure you can think of people just like that. And I hope you can. That the Lord's brought into your life who were that, who were that kind of people. They were comforters. And, they, and they've been comforted. 
And now they had learned what that looked like, and they'd seen God's hand constantly, and they provided that. You know, some of the best counselors, uh, believing counselors, are ones who have that as part of their background. They've been through a very low time, and they allowed the Lord to comfort them, and they understood it was from his hand, even though they may not have understood why. And then they were able to bring comfort and encouragement to somebody else. That was the completed circle. They didn't pretend to know why the Lord provided that opportunity for them. It was just that's what he did, and he's sovereign, and it's from his hand, and you're okay with it. So that comfort is a stewardship, see? And the experience of being comforted in our discomfort makes us able to comfort others. God is the Father of mercies, God of all comfort. Christ is a comforter. The very name of the Holy Spirit is comforter. And so we should be, as Paul is, you know, saying, I'm so happy to be comforted by God in my distress so that I can use the comfort he gave me and the strength he gave me to strengthen you. Okay. Now, if you would, if you, if you didn't really listen to anything that closely, listen to this, okay? It may take a few lessons for that to sink in. But wouldn't that change the calculus of difficulty if we really understood attitude, experience, and application? I mean, if we really looked at our lives as tools that God is preparing for his use, in particular, his use for comfort. And if we moved away, catch this, from the victim mentality, the Jacob response, all these things are against me, see? Our culture is permeated with the victim mentality. And, and take this for what it's worth, and, and no offense, but I think it forms the backbone of modern psychology and counseling. The victim mentality is the backbone of modern psychology and counseling. We are all victims, and that's why we have the problems that we have. We're not directly responsible for the difficulty. It is somebody has done something to us, and we're victims, see? And instead of that, see, what if we start believing that what we see in the Word of God is that God in His sovereignty has allowed us to go through very difficult times or times of suffering so that we can be used by Him, not in our own strength, overcoming our victimization in self-empowerment, but instead, strengthened by God of all comfort so that we can be comforters. What if we just change the whole look and we just thought, in Christ, we're not victims, are we? We're more than conquerors in Christ, correct? We're not victims. If you're a believer and God is sovereign, then nothing is, makes you a victim. By his own hand, he has placed these things in your life. See? So you're strengthened by the God of all comfort. Instead of being a victim, you've been allowed to go through difficult times. And I'm not pretending that any of them were great or that they weren't that bad. Some were horrible. There's no, we're, not, we're not softening the difficulty in any way. But the fact of the matter remains is that the Lord has provided that opportunity for you to draw strength from him and comfort and mercy and his disposition towards you is compassion. And he's come alongside to help. And then he said, okay, now that I've comforted you, what? Go and comfort somebody else. Able to comfort those who are in, catch it, any affliction. You mean anything at all? Yeah, anything at all. Is it all under God's sovereignty? I believe that we can understand from the word of God that it is. God's the comforter. We receive his comfort. A part of that accepting his sovereignty in what he's allowed and his mercy and his compassion is then walking in that strength and becoming a reprint of that comfort to someone else. 
you know, and we're out of time. There's, there's a great illustration with Peter uh, in Luke 22. We're going to start with that next time because I just, wow. You remember, I'll just give you a, uh, just foreshadowing. Remember, the Lord says, Peter says, I'll come with you to the cross. The Lord says, no, you won't. Before the clock grows, you're going to deny me three times. And then what does he say? When you've repented, strengthen your brothers. Right? You're, you're going to go through a really difficult time, Peter. And you, can you imagine watching the Lord be tried and then people saying, you were with him? No, I wasn't. You were with him. I was not. You were with him. Blankety blank blank. I was not. Okay? And then, then the cock crows and boy, that's, that's tough. So we're going to start with that next week and I think it'll be encouraging to you. So Paul wasn't the only one Jesus wanted to turn into a comforter. You know, but we don't have time to do justice to that today. So we'll look at it next week, Lord willing. So we're out of time, so let's pray. And uh, I pray that the Lord has given you enough that you can start maybe changing that calculus in your own life. Father, we thank you today for uh, this morning. I really, simply, I've made it probably much more complex than it needed to be. Uh, uh, you've reminded us that you're the God of all comfort. And so much could be said, uh, and the best, I think, of what could be said was just what the passage said by itself. God of all comfort. We can only trust uh, that we have been able to make that clear. So many issues of life that put a completely different perspective on if we understand that you're the God of all comfort, you, you have uh, comforted us in all of our affliction and that all of these things work together for our good and that we can exult in our pressing pressure. Just what a huge perspective changer that can be when our attitude starts that way, our experience then reflects our attitude and our response, our application is to comfort other people. There is sweet in the bitter. And some of it's very bitter, Father. And I pray your grace and encouragement to those who have such a bitter difficulty, whether it's temporary or, or over a long haul. Father, we live for you and, and, and we suffer for it, no, no doubt. We, we speak the gospel when we lift up Christ. We could suffer for that. Many do around the world. We, um, we could be humiliated or shamed or, or put down or persecuted, treated unkindly. We, we can find that with ungodly people. We can find that amongst believers, as Paul did, people saying unkind things, being critical and, and, um, and tearing them apart. We can, we can have all that. We can suffer that at the hands of believers. We can suffer at the hands of a sinful world. Um, and when we do that, we're just right at the point where your spirit will rest on us and fill us with strength and make us more able uh, to minister to others who suffer the same. And so, Lord, I just, just a very simple connection. I pray that you'll make it for us. And then reveal, as only you can, uh, how that applies personally to us. Uh, we need to continue to renew our minds, Father. As I, I continue prompted this uh, with these thoughts, perhaps even more than believers did in the first century, because we are so saturated with psychology and it salted the church so badly that somehow we're just victims and all these things are against us, which is the opposite of what your word teaches. So, Father, I pray you'll help us begin to assimilate, renew our mind with this, bring us back to these passages as we'll be in them for a number, uh, quite a few more verses. We'll be able to see it over and over again. Uh, Father, just be, change us, wash us with your word. As Paul said in Romans 8, 37, in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. What an amazing position you've given us. That's the reality. Whether we've assimilated that or not, I pray that we'll begin to. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said.